I think it's okay to to say that, right? This is the first episode that we're recording. It's not okay. Yeah. yeah and uh Oh. It's been a long time. Sheesh. You're going right for the new sound bites. That's classic Nick. Yeah. Classic, classic. Nick. Yeah. We got to make it a sound bite. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Even though you didn't say anything in particular, you just hit the sheesh button. I did. I said something. I said this. We got to make it a soundbite. You know what I'm talking about? I, I know. I'm following. And even though uh, this is not the first episode that we're releasing, it is the first episode that we're back together. And if I sound a little sick, it's because I am. Specifically asthma. Yeah. Not COVID. Yeah, not COVID. I've had God. the Roni. Have you guys had the Roni? No. I mean, apparently I've been exposed to it, but... Yeah, we I just found out. experienced the symptoms of it. I was hoping I had the Roni, but... Hoping? Just yeah. to get it over with. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. how I felt for a long time, too. And I am kind of glad that like, I'm through it and now yeah. I have the immune system. Even though you didn't really get tested, so you don't know if it was really... I know. I oh, definitely yeah. know. Okay, definitely. Even though, you know, if it is a Delta now, you could get whatever that is. I could get the div. Is that what the kids call it? The DV? You know, that is true. But in reality, we just have to do the best we can so that we can live... Long lives. You know what I mean? I don't know where you're going no, with this. I don't know what you mean. Vitamins. We could social distance. We can, you know, exercise. We can not eat hot dogs. Things like that. Yeah, but we do all of those things. Oh. Michael Dinger's wow. Dig or No Dig. This is the first time listening we start each and every show with Ding or No Ding, where I come up with a news headline, and Ryan and Mark have to decide whether it is Ding, real, or No Ding, fake. And with everything going on, I felt that it was appropriate to, to start talking about our health, mm. and this headline is pretty interesting. Let's hear it. Each and every hot dog that you eat takes 36 minutes off your life. Uh, ding or no ding. 36, that's so precise. And remember, you can't answer until I hit the sound bite, but you start talking about it, though. Oh, you got to hit the sound bite? Hmm. Yeah, I feel like hot dogs are crap, you know? Yeah. It's like bologna. It's just a bunch of meat stuff. Yeah. But, but at the same time, it's like, it's meat stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Meat stuff is great for you. Um, oh, okay. I have my answer. Okay. Do you have your answer? <sighs> I do, but it's controversial. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So when you're ready to talk about it, let me know. I'm ready. All right. Tooting or not tooting? That is the question. What? What is the answer? What? What do you think, guys? Uh, ding. I think the fact is... Ding, according to your source. Okay. Do you think in reality it's no ding? I think. Me thinks. Eating one hot dog takes about 36 minutes off your life, study finds. San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my suspicions are already high. Sorry, I don't know why I read San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it actually says hot dog. Hold the hot dog. A recent study suggests eating just one could take 36 minutes off your life. That's according to researchers at the University of Michigan, <laughs> which published a study in the journal Nature Food in August. So the study analyzed nearly 6,000 <laughs> foods in the U.S. diet and measured their effects on minutes of healthy life gain or loss. To arrive at their findings, researchers devise an index that calculates the net beneficial or detrimental health burden in minutes of healthy life associated with serving of food. So, each and every hot dog takes 36 minutes off your life. Were you also picturing like people in lab coats and notepads like... Writing down stuff about hot dogs? No, I wasn't. No, I was just laughing because I was waiting for San Francisco to pop up at some point in what says, you're reading. It just says but San Francisco in this the beginning of the article, and then oh, because I guess that's where it takes place or something. It didn't. It's usually how it goes. Come back up again. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> when is San Francisco going to pop up? That's it what did. I was it popped up at the beginning of the article. Yeah. So at your bachelor party Mm -hmm. i didn't have any hot dogs oh you didn't no well marriage takes some time off your life anyway so it evened out Mm. okay actually studies show that it adds to your life did you know that oh yeah yeah i uh i read a book called younger next year i believe it's called in that book it talks about how uh how important relationships are and it cites a bunch of studies that talk about how married people live longer than single people. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Interesting. Unless yeah. they're eating hot dogs cuz then right. it's like yeah, it's the foundation of their marriage is hot dogs. Mm-hmm. That's not no. going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. So at your bachelor party, I think I took what is that 72 minutes off my life? Yeah. That's intense. You only had two hot dogs? That's how much I love you. I love you so much I was willing to give you an hour of my life. An hour and 12 minutes. An hour yeah. and 12. To be exact. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. You really took a sacrifice for me there. I did. Eating those hot dogs. That was your wedding gift. You're welcome. Thank you. Hi. So unity is a five-letter word. U-N-I-T-Y. No, another five-letter word that means the same thing. Listening to Bible Dingers podcast. That was a little it sounded awkward. like we just ended it. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> that was a little awkward. Yeah, it <laughs> was. It's a cool soundbite. I had to try it. We yeah, we we got that soundbite many years ago when we first started this. When we got Bible Dingers, that soundbite, which you've heard since like the first episode. I feel much. like it needs to drag out a little bit longer so it doesn't feel like it's ending the episode. What needs to? Oh, the soundbite? Yeah, this. You are listening to Bible Dingers Podcast. Cast, 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 cast. But then it sounds like it ends there. No. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <No. laughs> echoes just keep you up in suspense. That's true. Cast, 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 Does the echo keep going? Yeah, that's a question for the ages, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, we got to talk about the title of the book, and that's what this whole episode is about, the book of 1 Corinthians 
So let's dive in. The title comes from the location of the church that this letter was written to. They didn't have any hipstery names back then, so it was pretty much a church of Corinth, the church of Thessalonica, things like that. But what do you think the hipster name would be if they did have it? Oh, City Corinth. Ooh, yeah. that's good. That's good. Yep. Yeah, like City Corinth Life. Corinth Song? City Life. Corinth Song. <laughs> Corinth Song, it could be. Life Church Corinth. Campus. Yeah. Oh, Campus, yes. Yeah. Campus yep. Corinth. Yeah. Campus Crusades for Corinth. Yeah. Yeah? Probably all those. How about Thessalonica? Thessalo... Thesso I like a church. I, I like a church. <laughs> Thessa I like a this church. <laughs> I must confess a... But it says no like a, right? Thessalonica. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. I'd... Macamadamian nuts for God. We didn't even get there yet. Yeah, we didn't get to Macedonia yet. <laughs> we will. Yeah. But I just had to I had to do it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the title is uh actually true, like in, in regards to that the title is written to the churches um and just named after those churches. This is true of the majority of these epistles. They're typically derived from a city that contains a church in which it's being written to. Yeah, for uh, ex- except for um, Tim- the Timothys, Titus, James, and Philemon, for Paul's epistles at least. And I think, well, Paul is the one who writes it to cities, and then the rest of the, be the epistles, like the Peters and the Johns and stuff, those aren't written to cities. These are mostly Pauline epistle Yeah. Facts. And the next question is... Who wrote this? That's where we discuss the author. There's little doubt by anyone, skeptics included, that this was written by no one other than Paul. No one. It was written by no one. So Paul is the self-proclaimed author multiple times throughout this book. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1, in, in chapter 13, chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. Not chapter 13, verse 13. Um, chapter uh, 16, verse 21. So we see that the author is identifying himself as Paul. And this has been confirmed by many early church fathers, including Clement of Rome and uh, Ignatius, Polycarp, and Tertullian. The next thing that we will discuss is the date of writing. Paul went to Ephesus in 52 AD on his third missionary journey, and in Acts twenty thirty one, he mentions to the Ephesians how he was with them for three years. So that gives us a, a good idea of the date of writing. Also, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians sixteen eight that he is going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. So that's either May or June. Lying to me? Oh, that was good. Sound like burps. <laughs> All right. So, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 16 8 that he is going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. That is 50 days after Easter. So, we're talking May or June. That means this book was probably written in early AD 55. In the letter, 1 Corinthians 16 6, 
Paul mentions that he wants to come spend the winter with the Corinthians. So he wrote this in spring of AD 55 before he came to visit them later that year. Hmm. Very interesting. All right. So uh, you heard about this new section in the last episode, the last full book episode of Romans. But we do have a new section for these Pauline epistles and, and really for the rest of the books of the Bible, I suppose, because in the, the Old Testament, most of the outline was going through stories and history of the book, since all those books are historical narrative. Um, with the epistles, though, I said with the epistles. With the epistles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the epistles, since those are letters, you don't get much of the historical context that surrounds it. So we'll be including historical context to make what's written in these epistles a little easier to understand. So a lot of people like to talk about, oh, it's out of context. But, you know, like almost nobody actually knows the context, I feel like, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not to, to slap anybody on the hand or anything. I'm just saying I'm encouraging you to uh, pay attention to these sections because the context is important to understand what Paul or the writer of the epistle is actually talking about because most of the time they're addressing actual issues within the church and it's easy to take it out of context when you don't know that, when you don't know the purpose behind it. So with that being said, the first uh, item on the list that you need to know about as far as historical context is the city of Corinth. Uh, So Corinth was both a business center and a major party town. It was a business center because it was located between two major intersections. It connected northern Greece, which was, uh, can you guess where that was in relation? It was in northern Greece. Yeah, it was to the north. Yeah. Mm. And then there was southern Greece, which... Uh, south? Was, yeah. Okay. It was the south. The south. Yep. Good job. Got it. Um, so trade between those two areas flowed through Corinth. And then also it was between the Corinthian Gulf to the west and the Saronic Gulf to the east. So that means there was a lot of traffic through the city due to business and trade. Uh, Most of the trade that happened within Greece flowed through Corinth. So pretty much no matter where you were trying to go in Greece, uh, as far as trade routes go, you had to go through Corinth. So it was in a really good spot uh, business-wise. But then on top of that, Corinth was a huge party town. It was known for people making trips out there just to get crazy, similar to like a Las Vegas or an Atlantic City or something in, in the United States. In fact, it was so bad that the phrase Corinthiazo, coined by Aristophanes, became common. Ooh, you put that on your chicken? Yeah. Aristophanes or Corinthiazo? Either. They both sound delicious. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so to Corinthiazo is to act like a Corinthian. <laughs> is essentially what it means, which essentially means to fornicate uh, or to be sexually promiscuous. A Corinthiazo? Yeah, to act like a Corinthian. Oh, yeah. Isn't there? Isn't it this book where Paul addresses the um, guy sleeping with his mom? <coughs> yes, that is in 1 Corinthians. We will get to that. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a crazy town. Uh, it's kind of like, do you remember in the, in the debates in 2016 where... Uh, New York values was brought up. You remember that? How New Yorkers, we have different values than people in the South. Oh, well, no. Either way, so that's that's basically what 
to be called a Corinthian was sort of derogatory. It means mm. that you had lower values, mm. you were promiscuous, whatever. So the most popular shrine in Corinth was the Temple of Aphrodite. Uh, shout out to Katy Perry, am I right? Uh, which was on top of a nineteen hundred. Sure yeah, yeah. Right. It was on top of a nineteen hundred foot mountain where hundreds of women slaves quote served the men who quote worshipped there. If you know what I mean. And then uh, one interesting thing I wanted to add on, just to put the cherry on top is that there was a common proverb back then that said, not for every man is the voyage to Corinth. So. What do you think that means? Deep. It means that it's uh, dirty it's dirty dudes only. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's uh, a little bit of background on Corinth. Not only is it a major business center, such as a New York or Chicago, I guess. Oh, Chicago's kind of destroyed right now. But you get the picture. It was also like a Las Vegas type of town. Yeah. Um, The Christians back then were like, you say Corinthiazo, I say Corinthiano. So the next part of historical context (laughs) you need to know about. It's pretty bad. Was that bad? That was pretty bad. It was awful. Yeah. The next part of context you need to know about is the church in Corinth, of course. So the church was started while Paul was on his second missionary journey. Uh, And we talk a bit about the missionary journeys in the last episode, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. The one that we totally recorded already. If you haven't noticed, we we found a new feature on the soundboard. (laughs) Are you done? Are you done? All right. So anyways, the Corinthian church. The church was started while Paul was on his second missionary journey, as I said. He preached the gospel there in Corinth and then planted the church with Priscilla and Aquila. These are names you're going to hear quite often within the epistles. He became pretty close with Priscilla and Aquila, who were Jewish people that left Rome in AD 49 when Claudius expelled the Jews from the city. And Claudius isn't just like some dude, you know, he was, he was a Caesar. Hmm. Uh, so it wasn't just Claudius saying, hey, Jewish people. Get out of here. It was the king. It was Emperor yeah. Claudius. He wasn't Emperor. some Claude. Emperor yeah. Claudius. Saying, yeah. Some yeah. dumb Claude. Yeah. So there's no mention of Priscilla and Aquila's conversion. So they were actually probably believers already when Paul met them. And on top of that, they were tent makers as well, which is the same as what Paul was professionally. So for all these reasons, uh, they they connected and they became pretty tight. And eventually, after planting the church in Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila left with Paul to join him on his missionary journey. Uh, the church in Corinth met in Titus Justus's house. That sounds delicious. This may possibly be the same Titus that received the letter Titus from Paul, but probably isn't. Okay. So there you go. That is some historical context on the city in which the church is located and how the church got started. Next, it is time for the... 
Porpoise or purpose of the book. Um, so 1 Corinthians is not the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. <laughs> I can see the corner of my eye, you getting ready to do it again. Art thou feeling it now, Mr. Crab? <laughs> so 1 Corinthians is not the first letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, this is important to know. Especially when we get to Second Corinthians, honestly, in First Corinthians five nine, he mentions the previous letter that he wrote, which the Corinthian church didn't understand and then lost. So Paul learned about the misunderstandings from that first letter and some other issues from a woman named Chloe. It says in chapter one verse eleven, and then Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Sounds delicious. Uh, There's so much delicious food in this book, bro. Yeah. They all brought Paul specific questions about issues that were dividing the church. And you can see that in chapter 16, verse 17. So 1 Corinthians was written to address the issues in the Corinthian church that were brought to Paul's attention by these four people. There's some good ecclesiology in this book. So this is more for you and I. 1 Corinthians is very much directions for a small local church or regular church functions and on basic godly behavior. It concludes with a defense of Christ's resurrection. Cool. Yeah. It really helps to have the image of like <clears throat> a missionary going to Las Vegas to set up a church and just mm-hmm. how many issues would arise and all the questions that would come up. Yeah. You know. I, I did it for you, honestly, Mark. Oh, thank you. Yeah, next up is... Fun facts. <laughs> You're not going to wait the one second for it to finish? Where's the fart, bro? Well, the first fact is, whenever Plato referred to a prostitute in his writing, based on the facts that Ryan gave you, you could definitely come to a safe conclusion that he would use the term Corinthian girl, right? Well, you don't have to come to a conclusion. That's what he said in his writings. Yes. He used the term Corinthian girl. Well, you know what I meant. You were uh, talking instead about of the prostitute. Corinthiazano, yeah. right? They're Italians. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think pretty clearly in Greece. Well, yeah, they were Italians. Corinthiazano. Yeah. What was the word again? I forgot it already. Corinthiazo. Corinthiazo. Yeah. Corinthiazano. Okay. Yeah. Next up is. Are you doing? Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games, which is one of the most famous athletic events that day. The other was the Olympic Games. The Olympic dames? <coughs> Are you be watching them dames on the track? <laughs> Try not to cough. Yeah. Corinth hosted the Isthmian. <laughs> Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games, which is one of the most famous athletic events in that day. The other was the Olympic Games. <clears throat> Next is, not only was there a letter before 1 Corinthians... There was also one written between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. The letter before 1st Corinthians is known as the Lost Epistle. And the letter between 1st and 2nd Corinthians is known as the Severe Letter. Because... (laughs) (laughs) It's very severe. (laughs) Because in 2nd Corinthians 2.4, Paul mentions how it pained him to write because it was severely corrective. Next is 1st and 2nd Thessalonians was written 
from Corinth. There you go. Nice. There you go. All right. Didn't you get a new outline uh, thing? Oh, here it is. It's outline time. Dinner's ready. I had to match the soundbite with mine. All right. Let's get right into the outlines. So 1 Corinthians has one, two, three, four sections. Mark, do whatever you want. Or do nothing. Four. Four. But there are four sections. The first one is the introduction, and that is simply the first half of the first chapter. Uh, And that starts with a greeting from Paul. And then a thanksgiving by Paul because he is thankful for Jesus and for the Corinthian church. So that's the first section. It's a short section, but that's how outlines work. You got to break it up by relevancy. Am I right? The second section is where we find out the conditions that are reported to Paul. And this is chapters one through chapter six. And so this breaks down into two smaller portions. The first one is the divisions in the church, and that's the first four chapters. And then the second problem that were reported to him is in chapters five and six, and that's the lack of discipline in the church. So let's break these down a little bit more. We'll start with the divisions in the church in the first four chapters. Uh, So the problem is described a little bit in verses 10 through 17 of chapter one. And this is uh, that portion of scripture where... Uh, the congregation is saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Calvin, I follow Arminius, I follow MacArthur, I follow Brown, I follow Flowers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were saying things like that, which needed to be corrected. He mentions that the gospel is contradict- it's, <laughs> it's contradictory to human wisdom in, verses, uh, in chapters 1 and 2. And this is where he talks about how the cross is folly to those dying and that Paul chooses not to use lofty words, but teach Christ and Christ crucified. And he's sort of setting up to make a point here um, in the next several portions because it, it doesn't really come together really until the end of chapter four. So the next argument that he makes is that the spirit has a ministry of revealing God's wisdom. So human wisdom is foolish. We need God's wisdom. Currently, the Corinthian church does not have God's wisdom because in the next section in chapter three, he describes their condition as being on milk and not meat. They're still spiritual babies and they're not ready to move on to the weightier topics of doctrine and so on and so forth. The next argument is that different roles are assigned to different people within the church. And so this is where he talks about how some plant and some water, but everyone within the body works together to bring about the harvest. And then once again, he reiterates that human wisdom is folly to God at the end of chapter three. And then he finally sort of closes out this section of argumentation because there's division in the church. I follow Paul. I follow Paulos. And basically, in chapter four, 
he lays out why they should be imitators of him. Because essentially, the whole argument leading up to this is, you guys don't know what you're talking about, and God gave us all specific roles to play, and you don't need to divide over who your leaders are. And at the end of the day, just do whatever I tell you to do. Because I'm speaking from God's wisdom. I'm giving you God's wisdom, and you're, you are using man's wisdom when you're dividing over these things. Mm-hmm. So that's it. It, it seems a little bit... Uh, disorderly i suppose whenever we break it down into each argument that he's making but it it does come together within the four chapters of why he's saying what he's saying and i guess what he's saying (laughs) okay so the next portion is the oh that's a good that's a perfect soundbite for after someone says okay excellent work nick excellent work Uh, So the next section, like I mentioned before, is the lack of discipline in the church. And that's chapters five and six. And uh, we start in chapter five, finding out what the problem is. There is a big problem and it is an incestuous relationship in the church. This is what Mark was talking about earlier, laid out in chapter five. And it is about a man who has his father's wife. And this man who has his father's wife is to be handed over to Satan, according to Paul, and consequently, according to God, because Paul wrote uh, on God's behalf. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. So that's what was going on here. Um, That was one of the divisions in the church, though. There were some people taking his side. There were some who were against him. Paul was trying to clear that up. The next division in the church was that there were lawsuits occurring between people in the church. And he was straightening this out and saying, why do you go to the world? Why are you going to the courts to fix problems that are within the church when you should be handling it within the church? And he rebukes them. So he rebukes them for, uh, the incestuous relationship that they're divided over. He rebukes them over the lawsuits that are occurring within the church. And then lastly, at the end of chapter six, he's making an argument that they are not their own. They were bought with a price, so they should be staying away from sexual immorality. And so this is, uh, it's kind of easy to see why he brings this point up after uh, we learned about the historical context of Corinth. It's a, it's a city filled with sexual immorality. It draws in travelers and visitors just to partake in the sexual immorality. And these people live in that city. And so his admonition is to not take part of that and to be a light in your city. And that is it for the first two sections Nikki, do you want to do sections three and what comes after three? Four, Four of this outline. Hey, you guys know that church, the, the congregation suing the pastor. Where? Here in Jersey? No. Uh, who is it? David Platt's church? Really? I heard the, his own congregation, part of it, is suing him. No, I didn't hear that. I hear that people don't really like him anymore. I don't know why. I haven't been they, keeping up. Are they, I think they're suing him because they say he's becoming too woke. Yes, he is. So they're suing him? Yeah, they're getting in lawsuits. <coughs> you know how like Paul says don't get into how lawsuits. Would, I don't understand what the claim would be on the lawsuit. Is, are, 
are reform people canceling David Platt right now? Yeah, pretty much. I thought so, yeah. but I I don't really keep up. Yeah, because he's pretty woke. He's pretty woke. Um, yeah, he's. Well, what does that mean exactly? Like he's he's consistently coming up with new messages solely about racism, segregation, discrimination, and supporting. Even though he doesn't outwardly say it, but he is supporting CRT. At one point, he was one of my favorites. Uh, same thing with Tim Keller. Same thing with a lot of these guys. They're still amazing brains. Um, they're very smart men. Yeah. So I would just say, you know, study with discernment. Mm-hmm. No um, need to cancel anybody. I'm mm-hmm. not uh, an advocate for cancel culture. I also don't approve of uh, false teachers either, but they these men definitely offer some wisdom in their past that you can benefit from. Mm-hmm. And I can't really speak on what they're teaching now. And I'd say just discern carefully, mm-hmm. you know. Just check it against scripture, you know, before yeah, you check. wreck it against scripture. Oh, exactly. You know what I mean? That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It being your eternity. Yeah. In heaven or hell. If you listen to David Platt, I think there's a chance that I, you won't make it into heaven. That's true. <laughs> right. That's so true. that's why we have to I cancel I don't listen him. to him enough <laughs> right now. My point is I don't listen to him enough or Tim Keller enough right now to speak on either side. Yeah, same. But from what I hear... These are the realities of it. But since I don't know, I can't say to cancel him or not. Yeah. Or to stop listening to him or whatever the case may be. But I'd say just listen to anyone, including people who are known as false teachers or or true teachers or whatever with the sermon. I think that's mm-hmm. the wisest thing we should ever do. I feel like when I'm in that situation where I don't really know like what people are actually preaching or teaching... I think I prefer to lean on the side of just cancel them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. cancel them. Just, yeah. I don't really know what they're talking about, so they're canceled. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're completely sarcastic? Or... I don't know. You're going to have to find out. You're going to have to You're gonna have to decide for yourself. You look sarcastic. And then maybe you'll have to cancel me yeah. <laughs> because you don't know what I'm talking I'm gonna about. I'm going to sue you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to sue you for canceling yourself. I don't care what Paul says about Jeez. lawsuits. You know. But, you know, anyway, as, <laughs> as good as the advice that we are giving right now, which is not good advice at all, Yeah, Paul had some really good advice coming into Chapter 7. Anyway, so we move into Chapter 7 through Chapter 16 all the way to the end. And this uh, third section is titled questions asked of paul so people ask him all sorts of stuff and moving into chapter seven he was specifically talking about marriage and related matters so paul does offer some advice to the married or formerly married in chapter seven and the beginning of it into going into verse 16 and that is to yield to each other if you are married to avoid sin but if you're unmarried it's better to stay unmarried unless you can't control yourself once you are married however if you're a Christian, divorce should never be an option. Um, that's what this section says. And moving into verses 17 through 24, there are some basic principles. Basically, be content where God has called you, and whether it be singleness or marriage. So that would be where I say to you, listener, if you are single, if you are married, find your joy in the Lord, be content where he has you, and glorify him in your current state. And that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, And then we move into uh, verses 25 
through 40 of chapter 7, and that's advice concerning virgins. Uh, basically, as a virgin Christian, you're really only concerned about the Lord's affairs because you're not worried about going out there and finding anyone to, to uh, you know, have sexual relationship with. Uh, so, I thought for sure you are going to say have an affair. No. Because <laughs> you said the Lord's affairs. Ah. Uh, <laughs> so your your priority is pretty much on godly things. Once you're married, your concerns are split up. You know, you have to worry about your wife or your husband, and you have to think about other people. But before that happens, um, obviously he's talking about virgins because the Bible supports um, sex within marriage, not premarital sex. So when we talk about virgins, we're talking about an unmarried person in comparison to a married non-virgin. So that's why marriage and virgin kind of goes hand in hand in the conversation. So basically, once you're married, your concerns are split up and you have to worry about pleasing your husband and wife. So basically what he's saying is worry about, um, I don't know. Yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> Great. No. I'm going to have to worry about my husband and wife. Yeah. He's saying that singleness is not something bad. Yeah, singleness is not something and bad. And neither is marriage. But just understand that with marriage comes that you need to also care for your spouse and care for the Lord. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and, and just I just lost my train of thought before. Be yes. prepared for that reality. Exactly. Mark that knows if you're single, if you're a yeah. virgin, it's better to stay that way. But because you you put all your focus and energy on God, but if you find yourself in sin, severe temptation, and all that stuff that you're falling for, it's best to get married. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we move into uh, chapter 8, going into chapter 11, and this is titled Food Offered to Idols, Um, and this is split up into uh, four parts, basically the priority of love over knowledge and Christian conduct. So in chapter 8, it says to be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So basically, we need to make sure we pay attention to those around us. And we should be considerate of all the potential consequences of our choices. We don't want to just be reckless because something is okay for us to do. We don't want to be reckless and and careless about some other people's feelings or other people's beliefs and just steamroll them and just say, you know, my way is the only way. We need to be aware of, of what other people and other cultures believe in. I think this is a tough word for us Westerners. To like not be so individualistic, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, actually yeah, considerate yeah. of others, yeah. And I know this is right. This is debatable, and it brings a lot of arguments and stuff like that. But this is my mentality when it comes to mask wearing. Like if I'm in someone's house and they want me to wear a mask, um, I'll wear it just to make them feel comfortable. Even though mm-hmm. maybe I don't feel comfortable wearing it or whatever the case may be, there's so much news around just wearing it. My thing is if it's not hurting me, if it's not killing me, even though there's some people that think that other side of things, I'll wear it so that I can be a better witness to them so I can have an opportunity instead of arguing over masks just to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. But This episode is very cancelable. <laughs> For sure. Cancelable. Oh, you put a yeah. piece of cloth in front of your mouth? Yeah. How could you? Yeah, do you you want to cut that? (laughs) No. Next up, we have in chapter 9, Paul's apostolic defense. In short, Paul is communicating what an honor it is to preach the gospel. And he continuously adapts to different cultures to better communicate the gospel to all. 
we even see this, um, you know, in his in in his other epistles and and other writings, that he is constantly adapting to other cultures to better communicate the gospel, and that that's something that we need to apply to our own lives mm-hmm. and, and notice that people are different, especially where we live in America. There's so many different cultures, so many different ways of life that we should be constantly, um, you know, adapting to those people so that we can better communicate the gospel. Mm-hmm. That doesn't that doesn't mean like bow to their gods or respect false teachings or whatever the case may be. But it's simple like like I, I had a, a, a friend that believed in this culture that it was, you know, respectful, res- respectful to take your shoes off before you enter the house. If that makes me present the gospel better to him, I'm taking it off. So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh, it's next, very provocative. Yeah, taking off the shoes. Yeah. Next up in chapter ten, verses one through twenty-two, we have the sinfulness of idolatry, and the key verse in this section for me is thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So basically, nothing that you're going through is exclusive to you. Your temptations are pretty well you know, experienced for all of mankind, and if you are a Christian, God has given you everything necessary to find your way out of that particular sin. Um, next up is the issue of marketplace food in chapter 10, moving into chapter 11. And Paul uses a great analogy here to bring home an important point. We are to do everything for the glory of God, looking to seek the good of others and not doing anything for selfish reasons. So that's pretty much um, the meaning of that particular passage of marketplace food um, in a nutshell. Obviously, I'd encourage you to read all of this stuff on your own and really get to learn the context and what's going on. But the applicable lesson here is that we are to do everything for the glory of God and not do anything for selfish reasons. It's Maybe if you've never read the Bible or you're still new to it, it can be weird to see, like, why is Paul talking about marketplace food? Mm-hmm. Like, what does it have to do with Jesus? What does it have to do with God or anything? And um, one thing my pastor talks about is just the way that... Um, you know, like all this high theology and all this stuff we talk about, it lands itself in everyday life. Mm. And it, it lands itself in ordinary people who still have to go about their day, have to buy food, mm-hmm. and they have questions. It's like, you know, okay, in this, we're talking about historical context of the Corinthians. It's like, okay, there's lots of idols here. There's food offered to idols. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're just talking about these everyday problems that ordinary people had. And that's why Paul is addressing it. Yeah. It's not just random stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And imagine if like sermons or teachings were always just high like the diction is is really hard to understand and the theology is really deep and there's never any sort of analogies or metaphors to connect it to your daily life. It'd be almost impossible to listen or if yeah. a book was written like that it'd be almost impossible to read. Yeah. So, so it, Paul it, uses a yeah. ton of analogies mm-hmm. in this book and even in 2 Corinthians food and, and, and all things that are appropriate to the culture, which is really um, connected to what I said before. He's constantly adapting or trying to bring out points that are appropriate to those people's cultures. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he's trying to 
give himself a better opportunity to evangelize and preach the gospel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Next up is propriety in worship. Chapter 11, verses 2 to 16. One of the most controversial sections in 1 Corinthians, right? We yeah, there's have, a couple. There's a couple. Yeah, but this is one of the, mm-hmm. the ones that get people the most heated, I'd say. Mm-hmm. We have the argument from culture in chapter 11, verse 2 and 6, the argument from creation, and the argument from propriety in verses 13 through 16. Basically, these are the head covering sections. In my opinion, these sections communicate cultural requirements, but are not necessarily talking about the current state of the church. But this topic has been widely debated, and I definitely don't want to go on a rabbit trail here on this episode. Um, Whether you agree with me or not about this particular topic, we can definitely still be brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can definitely be on mission together, and we can definitely continue to study the Bible together. However, if this topic interests you, I'd highly recommend getting on maybe Lagos, um, whatever Bible software that you have, or whatever commentary that you use, and start reading up on it. But I definitely wanted to take a moment to uh, do a shameless plug. We do have our Lagos link on BibleDingers.com slash Lagos, L-O-G-O-S, where you can have a discount for those of you that listen to Bible Dingers, and you can definitely take advantage of their software at a discounted price through us. Bruh. <laughs> After the head covering section, we are faced with another section in chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, and that is the Lord's Suffer. The Lord's <laughs> Suffer. The, he did suffer. The lo- <laughs> He did, but that's the last point. And the Lord's Supper is broken up into two categories, really, the abuses and the correctives. In chapter 11, verses 17 through 26, it communicates the abuses. And in a nutshell, it's basically saying saying never participate in the communion meal in an unworthy manner. Make sure your heart is right. Make sure you actually believe what you're participating in, that Jesus shed his blood and died for you, for your sake, for your sins. Make sure you're, you're aligned with those beliefs before you actually eat judgment upon yourself. But here we have the correctives in verses 27 through 34. Basically what I said before, examine yourself before you eat of the communion meal. Understand what you're doing and how important it is. If your heart isn't right, do not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. All right. Nick, I got to say, I think you covered that section very well. Ooh. You think I used my head? <laughs> yeah, you did. Very well covered. Um, speaking of covers, let's move on to the next section, which is if Nick's section was one of the most controversial sections, this is probably the most controversial section in First Corinthians and potentially one of the most controversial sections in the New Testament, uh, and that is the spiritual gifts portion of 1 Corinthians. And that's largely in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. Uh, we're going to get into it a little bit, uh, but not too in-depth. It's difficult to explain these passages in-depth without sort of hanging on to our our presuppositional, like our theological presuppositions. So I have a belief of oh, my voice just cracked. Yeah. I have a belief about 
spiritual gifts. Mark has a belief about spiritual gifts. Nick has a belief about spiritual gifts. You have a belief about spiritual gifts. It would be hard for me to not turn you off if you disagree with me on spiritual gifts while explaining this. So I say all that to say, it's going to seem like I'm glossing over this part, but I am not. In fact, we are giving this some serious thought and we are going to go uh, very much in depth in the next couple episodes. Uh, should I go ahead and just say who's going to be on? Name drop? That, yeah. Should I name drop or not? Nah? Yeah, do it. All right. In the next couple episodes, we have two legendary theologians coming on to speak about spiritual gifts with their own respective episodes. We have Dr. Wayne Grudem uh, coming on to talk about continuationism, which I am thrilled about. I've been trying to get Dr. Grudem on for years, and we finally were able to work it out, and he's able to be on the show, and he is a legend to me. Uh, so he's going to be on talking about continuationism, and then another absolute legend uh, is going to be on talking about cessationism, and that's Dr. Tom Schreiner. Uh, so we have two amazing, amazing men coming on the podcast in the next couple episodes where we are going to focus solely on spiritual gifts and whether or not they exist in the form we see them in 1 Corinthians, whether or not they should be used within the church. So you guys make sure you stay tuned to those next couple episodes. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that was kind of a long introduction, but it's kind of an important uh, portion of text that a lot of people divide over in the church. So I wanted to approach it with caution and preface everything I say. Yeah, and our listeners don't come out of this saying, I follow Grudem, I follow oh, Shriner. Oh, I like that. I like that. Okay, so first uh, is the test of spirit control is what I called it, and that is in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And basically, this says that no one that is controlled by the Holy Spirit can say that Jesus is accursed. And that's going to come into play in the next couple chapters here uh, when it starts talking about speaking in tongues. So after that, in verses 4 through 31... Paul talks about the need for varieties of spiritual gifts. And this is sort of a famous passage where it talks about how the church is a body with many members that all need to use their gift and work in conjunction with one another. Next is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I know you guys know this one. Mark, I am sure this is being read at your wedding. Yes or no? 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I don't. We don't know what's going to be read yet, but our, okay. we went over yeah. that in premarital, definitely. Okay. So this is the love is patient, love is kind, love is enduring, love is all this and all that. Um, that is the 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, and it also speaks about spiritual gifts quite a bit. And the reason why he's bringing up love is because towards the end of this chapter, he talks about how spiritual gifts will pass away. But love will continue. Mm -hmm. Love will go on. And so love is greater than the spiritual gifts. Actually, he says gifts will pass away. Tongues will pass away. Mm -hmm. But love remains. Yeah. And a lot of, and the spiritual gift, um, the spiritual gift debate kind of gets into the weeds in those specific verses, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, like I said, we will talk about that more in the next couple episodes. Next, no matter what you believe about the miraculous gifts and speaking in tongues, Paul here in chapter 14 says there is a need for intelligibility while you are in a church service. 
So if tongues are used in church, he argues, they must be interpreted. Um, so that's, that's why for me, like, I don't get why this is such a debate. Mm-hmm. Like, Paul's so clear here. All right, if you believe in it and mm-hmm. you think it's really from God and you think you're really doing it, these are the rules you must follow. And it seems like nobody follows them if they think they're on that side of yeah. speaking in tongues, yeah. which is so weird to me. I have to, well, so to play devil's advocate, but to agree with you at the same time, I do agree that uh, almost nobody does translating. But I would also say, even though you didn't make this point, but I, I want to make this point, is yeah. that Paul is talking about only church settings. So I don't necessarily believe the unintelligible language is is banned from like personal use at home or anything. Oh no like no that. no you know no I mean? yeah, yeah yeah church. If if you yeah. think God is calling you to a prayer language, by all means, if you're doing it in your prayer room or in your house, whatever, that that's not what Paul's talking about. Yeah. But the public use of tongues, if you're on the side of things that you say, yes, I have the gift of tongues. Paul's pretty clear here. If you do it in a public church setting, there needs to be an interpreter. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, it's like, why is there such a debate here? Why are there so many thousands of churches that are just splurring it from the, you know, f- from from the um, they're splurring the it everywhere, bro. You know, yeah, lots of splurring. The congregation is just blurring it, <laughs> you know. I think, and it, just ignoring that part. Yeah, doesn't it also say to leave the congregation when it's happening with the interpreter? And then they come back afterwards with the interpretation. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I can't remember. I'm not sure. It but yeah, it also I mean, says one at a time, right? Yeah. It speaks. <clears throat> yeah. So that's actually the next part. And you, you kind of segued us into it, Marky, is in the end of chapter 14, he provides arguments uh, for the need for order. And basically talks about how all things in church should be done orderly. There should be no chaos in church. Everything should be in order. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So those are the... Did you guys hear that? That was Franklin. Oh, okay. Yes, he farted. <laughs> How you doing? So those are the controversial, the most controversial uh, chapters in First Corinthians. The way in which we covered it, it didn't seem that controversial, but it is because we didn't get into the weeds of each yeah, verse. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which isn't what we do anyway. Yeah, exactly. We, we're pretty unbiased, and we just state the facts. And, and we're awesome. To you. Yeah, you know, we're just, yeah. all around. We're just free from bias. Yeah. Ding or no ding. <clears throat> Bible dingers is awesome. Yeah, ding. ding. Yeah, That's ding. a big old giant ding right there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you you made it too, an octave too high. Sorry. It's supposed to be like this. How you doing? Sorry about that. Okay, so the final couple chapters here, chapter 15 and 16. Uh, Chapter 15 talks about the resurrection of believers. And it starts out with a retelling of Christ's appearances after his resurrection in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 15. Following that, in verses 12 through 34, we have the certainty of resurrection and this is basically where Paul says that Christ was the first fruit of resurrection and we are made alive in him. So we are cert- it is certain that we are going to resurrect as well. And then it talks about the resurrected body in verses 35 through 49. 
This is also known as Mark's body or Nick's body, uh, depending on your body, your personal beliefs. It's definitely your body. You look the best. Your body. You, the listener, look the best. I I would have to agree with Mm -hmm. Nick and Mark that it's probably your body. No, no, no. This is a shameless plug. Listener B. You lost close to 100 pounds. You get the glory right now. Stop. In like a year. Stop. Less than a year. He lost almost 100 pounds in less than a year. You went from chunk to hunk. (laughs) You went to dong to ding. Yeah, I did. That was me last year. That's the old Ryan. That was me last year. But, oh well. Anyways, uh, so the resurrection body is talked about uh, towards the middle to end of chapter 15. And Paul says there are earthly bodies and there are heavenly bodies and they both have their own glory, but they have different glories. So there is some glories to this earthly body, okay? It's a little rickety, but it's got some glories. It's got about 5% glories. Yeah. I have n- <laughs> no idea what that means. Yeah. You don't know what glories are? The, no, differing glories. Like, I can see them right now. Yeah. I could I could see a couple of glories on Mark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got to take I, a shower. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, resurrection bodies, glories, you know the deal. Finally, in chapter 15, we have the assurance of victory over death. Uh, essentially, death will be swallowed up in victory. Victory is going to take death and swallow it. Oh, this is going to take so long. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone listening in their car. Their whole car must be shaking. Yeah, the rearview mirror. Oh, we got another uh, episode in four minutes, guys. Yes, we do. Oh, gosh. Okay, so uh, that pretty much ends up... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the final chapter is chapter 16. There's 12 verses in it. And basically Paul is just saying, Hey, let's take up a collection for the Jerusalem believers who need your dinero right about now. And that is the book of first Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun. Even though I'm sick and all, I didn't miss you guys, you know? Yeah, even though you're sick, you missed us. Yeah, I, I hear you. That's yeah. good. I yeah. wish my voice sounded better, but it didn't. Yeah. It sounds but mostly the same. <laughs> thank you. You know, appreciate mm-hmm. it. You know. Anyway, that was our episode on First Corinthians. We hope you enjoyed it. If you like our material and you like our stuff that we release, make sure you go on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you could actually search at Bible Dingers across the board and while you're there <laughs> just give me the likes don't pass and it. scroll don't pass and scroll make sure you hit follow yeah. hit like hit subscribe hey Brandon, and most importantly well, another one. ding on trying to get a bag and What the critics say, we just different man. Made it from the land, they where the chapels at. Close your mouth, you bet. I do no station, they my child, your head. I grew up with pills and pushes, I just did the opposite.